Welcome to At Home and Abroad with Harrison Walker. Join us each week as we follow our curiosity, diving deep into the familiar and the foreign. Reach beyond your front door as we uncover new perspectives, explore intriguing ideas, and have real conversations with the best guests. Ready for something different? Let's get started. Diane and Tony Bruger were proprietors of Harbor Oaks, a historic inn in past Christiane, Mississippi. They knew that Hurricane Katrina was near. They could feel it in the air, in the wind. It was all anyone was talking about, but the great storm was meant to pass them by. And so they decided to batten down the hatches and ride it out. They decided to stay on the top floor of the inn. The building was taller than the expected storm surge, and so they thought that would be the safest place. But Katrina's path shifted. Soon the hurricane was upon them. They were terrified. They could feel the inn rising and falling like a boat on the water. They knew they were in serious trouble. Even in the midst of the mayhem beating at the walls, Diane said, We said nothing. We just held hands and looked at each other. Shortly after the walls of the inn gave way, the roof fell in and the entire inn was flattened. Tragically, Diane's beloved husband, Tony, did not survive. Diane was spared, clinging to the tree branches for the next six hours in her grief and terror, waiting for Katrina to pass, waiting for her rescue. For many people living in the southern United States, August 29, 2005, is a day that will never be forgotten. On that fateful day, Hurricane Katrina made landfall. After gathering her strength over the days preceding Katrina, now a Category 5 hurricane violently lashed the Gulf Coast, devastating communities and leaving a wake of destruction in Louisiana, Mississippi, and Alabama. The cost was great. Not only would it leave nearly a billion dollars in damage, but scores of people lost their lives. Hurricane Katrina was one of the most deadly storms in U.S. history. Yeah, I can't imagine surviving that. It must have made her feel so small and so out of control. And to see her husband ripped away like that, awful. It really is. And and they weren't predicting it to hit them at all. I know. Hurricane Katrina was a tragedy of epic proportions. It was. New Orleans was particularly devastated because the levees and flood walls failed to keep the storm surge contained. In fact, I've heard the flooding of New Orleans referred to as a human-made disaster, not a natural one. Yeah, the flooding was intense. It was not only a national emergency for the United States, but a national tragedy. Mm-hmm. Spike Lee made a documentary for HBO called When the Levees Broke about the tragic event. Yeah, well, 80% of the city was flooded. And what breaks my heart is that the majority of those who perished were over 75 years of age. Mm-hmm. A third of those who lost their lives died in their own homes. And these are the vulnerable in our society. They were afraid and maybe too afraid to leave their own homes. It's just so sad. Yeah, I know. In times of crisis, some people flee and some people just freeze. Yeah, Whole communities were wiped out and not just the physical buildings, but the sense of community, Mm -hmm. the relationships that these people shared. I read that 400,000 people that evacuated New Orleans did not return. I can understand that. It 
would be so hard to go back. It would be an entirely different place and probably not too full of happy memories. Mm. And trauma is tenacious. Even when the parks and schools and homes are rebuilt, it takes much longer for the hearts to follow. So much was lost. It changes a person. Yeah, there's even an HBO documentary called Katrina Babies. I don't know if you knew about that. Mm. That retells the personal experiences of those who lived through Katrina as children. Of course, those memories haunt them still. Director Edward Buckles Jr. reflected on his creation by saying, a story that I wanted to tell was one that drew parallels between what happened in 2005 and what was currently happening with the young people in New Orleans. Wow, that sounds fascinating. Mm -hmm. He very intentionally did not interview any experts in the documentary as he wanted Katrina's children, now adults, to tell their own stories. I bet it's a tough one to watch, but an important one too. Oh, definitely. Weather is something that is always in our consciousness, running in the background until it messes with our plans, or in Katrina's case, changes our life course forever. Well, here in Canada, weather is almost always the first topic of conversation. Is it the snow we're whinging Mm -hmm. about or the heat wave? I rely on my weather app, though, on a daily basis. I check it each day before walking out the door. Do you? Of course. I sometimes even check it before I go to bed. Oh. Mm-hmm. Do I need to get up early and scrape the ice off the windshield? Do I need extra time to build into my commute for heavy rainfall? Flip-flops or flat? Right. All very important questions I need answers to, Harris. Absolutely. No <laughs> arguments here. The study of human behavior in response to weather is so fascinating. In fact, in 2013, researchers studied the movement of over 30,000 mobile phone users in Tokyo for a year, looking to see how their behavior was affected by weather. And what did they find out? Generally, they found that on very cold days, which are like minus five degrees Celsius to five degrees. That's not cold, Harris. Well, I know, I know. But in (laughs) Tokyo, it is cold. Okay, fine. So on cold days, people stayed longer at places like restaurants and cafes. Is that really any surprise, though? (laughs) I could have told you that. I could also tell you that I stay in my PJs as long as I can on rainy days. Yeah, that's a good move. I love the rain, too. And I love to be cozy inside in a thunderstorm. But people do feel differently about weather. Yeah, I can understand this. I absolutely detest the cold, but I love rainy and even windy days as well. The windier, the better. Hmm. You know, I'm a homebody, Harris. I did know that. (laughs) (laughs) I love sitting inside with a hot cup of coffee and watching the leaves blow on an autumn day or listening, you know, to the rainfall on the roof. Well, that would make you a pluviophile, which (laughs) according to the Collins Dictionary is a lover of rain, someone who finds joy and peace of mind during rainy days. That would be me. Pluviophiles tend to be introverted, creative, quiet, calm, and sensitive. Rain falling actually is considered to be pink noise, Mm. which uses a lower and more consistent frequency than white noise. So many sleep apps have soft rainfall in the roster of nature sounds to aid in relaxation. Yeah, they really do. And that's my go-to calming sound. According to WebMD, though, there isn't a lot of research yet to explain the how and why pink noise contributes to quality sleep. They did reference one study which indicated that pink noise lowered brain activity, resulting in more stable sleep. Mm. And then there was this other study that suggested that pink noise helped people sleep more deeply. Apparently, pink noise can even improve the memory of older adults. Mm. So if you like rain, you like the smell of petrichor walker. What on earth is that? Well, it's exactly how that dry earth smells 
after it rains. Oh, yes. Absolutely. I love that. I know. It's bliss. Right up there with freshly mown grass for me. (laughs) I bet you didn't know, though, that that smell, petrichor, is due to a bacteria in the soil that releases a molecule called geosmin. Funnily enough, both humans and fruit flies are pretty adept at picking up on the scent. Okay, weird. Yeah, totally weird. I don't know what in common else we have with fruit (laughs) flies, but whatever. But I do know that I love walking in the rain. And apparently negative ions are released when it rains, which leads to people feeling more relaxed and comfortable. So what's not to love? But it is truly surprising how much of our behavior is determined by the weather, though. Mm, I totally agree. And the United States Environmental Protection Agency even states, as a society, we have structured our day-to-day lives around historical and current climate conditions. Unfortunately, climate change has thrown off the relative predictability of our weather. Mm -hmm. The US EPA says that we are accustomed to a normal range of conditions and may be sensitive to extremes that fall outside of this range. Yeah, well, that makes sense. The extremes make us vulnerable. Mm -hmm. Hurricanes, tornadoes, heat waves, flooding, damaging winds, extreme cold snaps, and forest fires. They all seem to be on rotation right now around the world. Now, do you remember the ice storm of 1998? I was living in Montreal at the time. Yeah, I do. We actually were on the road in Ontario during that storm, and it was like a frozen Armageddon Mm -hmm. out there. It actually is considered to be one of the worst natural disasters in Canada. The drizzling rain was unceasing, and as it froze, it formed heavy layers of ice on trees, hydro wires, and just about everything outdoors. You couldn't walk anywhere because sheets of ice were sliding off high rises, bridges and tunnels were closed, and of course, the power eventually went out. Mm. In winter, that's not so good. No. People were without power for weeks. 5,000 trees in Mount Royal Park in Montreal were cut down, and most of the majority that were saved were damaged. It was awful. Yeah, it was awful. I'm sure if given a chance, we all would have fled that storm for Mm. sunnier shores. It's interesting though, while some of us run for cover, there are others who lean in even more to extreme weather. Like our guest today, Ricky Forbes, a world-renowned storm chaser who has documented some of the wildest storms on the planet. Over 1 million people are following Ricky on his adventures as he documents his exploits around the world. Welcome to At Home and Abroad, Ricky. Hey, thanks a lot for having me. Yeah, I can't wait to get into this. So how does a nice prairie boy become involved in such a risky career? Well, you know, Heather, you fail. You fail out of school. You run out of options. And, uh, (laughs) you know, um, I've had many bounces along my life path. I have a background. I have a finance degree. Uh, I spent five years in the mining industry working underground and just trying out different things. Uh, But my passions were always rooted in the outdoors and adventures. And uh, I'll tell you the truth, there was one day having a conversation much like this with somebody who I had just met. And they said, you know what? If you like doing that, you should try storm chasing. Wow. It's like they like, like twist her the movie and they're like, yeah, just like that. Yes. Yeah, so it was 11 years ago. I went out and um, I go for a, a week-long adventure to go storm chasing down in the United States. And um, I expect it to be like anything else, you know, try it out and then go move on. And yeah. Um, I, yeah, I went down, I saw my first tornado and I just, it, it, I fell in love. It sounds corny, but you know, I, I, I found, I felt like I found my purpose and yeah. it was a few months after that I quit my job and I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to do this. This is, I'm going to figure this out. That's incredible. And there's so many pieces to your storm chasing too. Like you take amazing photographs and video, and I'm sure there's also some kind of public service component, right? You're contributing to 
knowledge of these extreme weather events? Yeah, like uh, on the public service side, um, first and foremost is reporting to the public. And mm-hmm. so we will uh, touch base, you know, for in the in Canada, we're touching base like Environment Canada. We're also touching base with the, the local authorities, uh, so whether it be right. the local police calling 911, whatever it may be, and reporting these tornadoes. Because on radar, they can only tell so much. But we have, you know, eyewitness whether or not the tornado is on the ground, how big it is, where uh, where we see it to be moving. And, uh, and we're also there to do... Search and rescue and first aid until right. you know the um, the real authorities get there. That's kind of the the unwritten rule. You're going to storm chase. Uh, you know that's that's part of the gig. But my business with storm chasing is the photography and videography, uh, the documenting, the journalism side of it. Well, it's absolutely incredible, and I'm personally someone who loves storms, but they do, you know, pack a wallop, and it must be pretty difficult sometimes being on the ground if you have to engage in any search and rescue or, um, you know, first aid assistance. It's a really tough part of storm chasing, and you know, it's something you would never see in my social media if you had a look. Like as soon as, uh, as soon as there's human lives involved, um, the cameras are down. Like we, um, yeah. Myself and the people I roll with, we're not out there to sensationalize that. That's not what we're after. And so the cameras go down and we do what we need to do. Um, but yeah, no, about, about half half the time, especially in the States, about half the time storms do hit populated areas. And yeah, yeah sadly, lives are affected. But that's not what we're after. When we're storm chasing, you know, if it's going to be a tornado, I would love for it to be in the middle of an open field, not harming right. anybody. And to tell you the truth, you know... Um, you know, when we have these conversations about storm chasing, a lot of times people just think it's 100% about the tornadoes. But to tell you the truth, for me, that's a small part of it. Um, what I really love is um, when you get to see these unique structures that yeah. these storms create. Like, it looks like a UFO. It looks like from something out they of this do. world. Yeah. They do. Yeah. And the colors, it's outrageous. It's almost oh. supernatural. It really is. It's just the yeah. vibrance, the blacks, the blues, the greens, and it truly is spinning. And uh, that's the cool part of storm chasing for me. And those kind of storms don't hurt anybody. Oh, they don't. Why is that? Because they're not traveling or? Yeah. So uh, once a storm starts to look like that, essentially what's happening is it's starting to, it's starting to breathe out. When a storm is breathing in, uh, that's when it's strong. And that's when it could create a tornado. But once you start to see those cool structures... Um, they do look menacing. They do look mm-hmm. scary. Uh, but it's actually the storm breathing out. And those kind of structures, they don't last too long. Yeah, um, Sometimes they last for five minutes and the storm breathes out completely. Um, sometimes they can last for 45 minutes, an hour. But that's a that's a big storm. Uh, but yeah, if you start to see things like that, the storm's usually starting to die off. Wow. I love that term breathing in and breathing out because it is like this huge organism in the sky this huge creature so that's kind of cool i love that terminology yeah you know um that's how i actually i normally discuss like it does these storms they do feel like a living organism and when you're beside them it's like it's like being beside a mountain where you, you feel so small yeah. However, this thing is moving and it's breathing. Like you can look up and you can see the clouds coming down. It looks like big arms reaching out of the, like the clouds will come down and like smack us right in the face. And oh my uh, gosh, that's amazing. It's just the coolest thing ever. You feel so small. It just feels like this massive giant 
beside you. It, it never gets old. It never gets boring. You can see that it's totally captivated you and is in your blood. And I get it. I mean, I would love to have that experience, although I think I might be a little bit too chicken. But you have a little arsenal that helps you get up close to these tornadoes, and that's Brutus. That's right. Yeah. Yes. We got a big built up badass truck um, yeah. that has a number of features to help us off road better and protects the truck um, so that we can at least have a, a, a fighting chance against these storms. Yeah. Cause I've wondered often with storm chasers, it, just the regular big storm that whips through, you can get hail denting your car and whatnot. So I always think about storm chasers going through in their vehicles and thinking, how do they last one tornado? But Brutus has a special skin. Is that right? Yes, we have a full Linex coating. And so Linex is like your bed box liner and okay. in, in, in a pickup box. And so how you can throw anything in a pickup box, you can do that to our truck. And so we get hit with, you know, baseball size, uh, grapefruit size hail. It doesn't leave a mark on the truck. Or when we're beside the tornado, it's not so much the tornado that scares us because it's not our goal to get inside the tornado, but it's what the tornado might throw at us. You know, if it grabs a tree or a piece of steel or breaks apart a building, that's going to come at us 100 kilometers an hour, 200 kilometers an hour. When it hits the truck, we need to be protected inside the truck. Yeah. Absolutely. How many people are normally traveling with you as you're chasing storms? Uh, typically, um, in an ideal situation, there's, there's uh, two others in the truck. Okay. Sometimes three others in the truck. But the way it works is that, you know, uh, we have a driver. The other two of us share the responsibility of looking at the forecast, looking at the immediate radar of what's going on, looking at the roadmaps, as well as always looking for our exit strategy. When we're storm chasing and, you know, um, the shit hits the fan. Yeah. At any moment that, that can happen in a storm, like if, a, if a storm has the potential to create a tornado and we're driving beside it, at any point a tornado can drop. And so we always have to be thinking, okay, um, once we pass this road, what's our next exit strategy? Once we pass that road, what's the next exit? So we're, we're constantly always thinking that like, if all hell breaks loose. Where are we going to go? Yeah. And so um, there's... It's just a constant, and as we drive down a road, the the radar is updating every few minutes. And so there's so many variables that are constantly updating um, that we do very much on that. And at the same time, the team, we're all photographers and videographers, and we all uh, make a business doing that. And so we all have to be capturing that content Mm -hmm. and also telling a story at the same time. So it's it's, um, it's made different moving parts because while we want a photo and we want little video clips to put on social media, our business is also telling the story of the storm chase so that can go on YouTube later and create like a longer episode. And so there's so many different things with the juggle. Yeah. So it's definitely not really a solo endeavor. You wouldn't recommend anybody going out and doing this on your own because you do need not only, you know, creating the content or capturing the content, but you do need eyes on what's actually happening in the field. And as you say, trying to figure out your next steps in case it, things go squirrely. Yes, yes, absolutely. You know, if somebody's interested in storm chasing, you, you want you want to partner up with others because you got to have uh, other eyeballs. And, and, you know, and when it starts to rain really heavy, like as a driver, you're, you're only focused on the road. And so it's impossible right. to be reading the weather or and lost and sometimes not lost but sometimes the radar will get knocked down you know if you're near a heavy right. storm and it knocks down the cell phone service or it affects it for a little bit um at that point it's all intuition it's all reading the sky and so you can't you can't drive and try to read the sky at the same time so it does take multiple people ideally two three maybe four yeah 
have each other's back and have that experience, right? Like that, that knowledge. Is there training you would recommend if somebody was interested in, in doing this work? Is there anything you would recommend them start with? Yeah. You know, if you want to uh, do training, it's as simple as now is going to Google and saying uh, how to be a storm chaser. I love Google. Yeah. There's lots of great videos and articles that come up. There is like official training, like down in the States, it's called Skywarn training. There is different training available, which is great. But to tell you the truth, uh, between having to look on Google a little bit, uh, the next best thing is just teaming up with somebody who has done some storm chasing. And, you know, if you go on Twitter, I always recommend this to people. If you're like, you're interested in getting started in storm chasing, if you just go on Twitter and search up like the storm hashtags for your area, like I know for, Saskatchewan, it's SK Storm or Alberta, Manitoba, similar. But you find those out and you're going to find storm chasers talking with those hashtags. Just message them and say, hey, listen, would you mind if I came and joined you? Um, Because a lot of times storm chasers are looking for other people because it's really tough to find people who want to go chase clouds for fun. Yeah. Yeah. Who are brave enough to do it, Ricky. Honestly, right? One of the two. Yeah. So... Other storm chasers, you know, the um, nine times out of ten, they will say yes, even if you're a stranger, because we all we all learn from somebody else. Right? Yeah, finding a mentor. It sounds like it's a really tight community. Is it? Does everybody kind of know each other within the storm chasing community? Largely, yes. Uh, it is interesting because we all, in a sense, compete against each other. Right. Because we're all providing such a similar product. But at the same time, though, when you're out on a gravel road and there's only two or three of you in like forever and ever, you're going to hang out and you're going to talk and you have that that common interest. And so we all do know each other very much. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's kind of nice, you know, and you probably all share that love of adrenaline like you. I was looking on your website and I there are photos of you rock climbing and doing some extreme sports that I don't even have a name for diving, all kinds of things. So is there an extreme sport you would not do? Um, That's a really good question. I, I'm yeah. willing to try anything once. Okay. But I, I, I'm really terrified of heights. Oh, okay. So maybe like hang gliding and that kind of thing or free climbing. Would you free climb? I would not do that. Neither would I, just <laughs> no. so you know. <laughs> I was thinking, actually, I was thinking like, I was thinking base jumping, uh, like I've oh, skydived, right. but I don't think I could base jump. I don't think I could jump off a mountain. Yeah, that's kind of at the top end of the risk stratosphere, right? Yeah. Not for me, Ricky, not for me. But maybe one day I'll jump in Brutus with you because I both love the truck and I do love storms. And I think I'd feel somewhat confident riding along with you chasing the storm. Yeah, the the truck gives (laughs) you a bit more confidence in getting out of there alive for sure. For sure, for sure. And I love the color orange. So thank you so much. Ricky, for chit-chatting with me today. If you would like to follow Ricky on his storm chasing adventures, you can find him online at rickyforbes.com. Follow him on Instagram at at Forbes Ricky and watch those videos on YouTube at at Ricky Forbes Official. Thanks again. Hey, thanks a lot for having me. I love storms from the comfort of my home, so I'm pretty certain that I will leave the actual storm chasing to the experts. Oh, I don't know. It must be so cool (laughs) to be that close to those pure elemental forces of nature, like a total rush. Though maybe I'm too old for that much (laughs) adrenaline walker. Have you ever heard of the term black blizzard? No, but I'm not so sure I like the sounds. I know, it sounds terrible, eh? It actually is when dirt combines with the wind to create a dust storm. 
In fact, in 1931, powerful dust storms carried millions of tons of dirt across the panhandles of Texas, Oklahoma, Kansas, and even Colorado and New Mexico. And what was left? The Dust Bowl. Yikes. That was one of the major contributors to the hard times of the Depression, no? Yep. And the storms kept coming, ripping away the topsoil and destroying crops until 1939. Wow. That's a long time to endure that weather, Mm -hmm. but not surprising. In fact, there are approximately 2,000 thunderstorms on Earth every minute. Wow. That's pretty crazy. Mm -hmm. I would love to see that from space. I would love to see that as well. I've actually seen film footage on an IMAX movie that was screened at the Science Center that showed that. Wow. That's cool. Mm -hmm. But not all thunderstorms are created equal. One thunderstorm in Texas in 1995 produced hail the size of cricket balls. Wow. That's crazy. (laughs) Can you imagine the insurance claims after that storm? Right. You need that coating that Ricky had on his truck. Oh, yeah. But just in the event that your weather app is on the fritz, our furry friends might have the ability to predict the weather. Like Wyerton (laughs) Willie, our prognosticating groundhog. Every February 2nd, people from all over watch to see if he will predict an early spring or six more weeks of winter. It all depends on whether he sees his shadow or not. Right. Shadow, more cold, no shadow, springtime. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you can guess what I'm always hoping for. Oh, yeah. Such a weird tradition, but it's entrenched in our culture, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Apparently, the tradition goes back to the late 1800s and is rooted in a superstition held by the Pennsylvania Dutch. Well, I'm not so sure how accurate old Wyerton is, but I'm pretty sure that my dogs can tell when a storm is coming. My cat, too. You know, I'm pretty sure she licks her paws, then rubs her ears right before it rains. Oh, that's cute. (laughs) Although scientists say there isn't concrete evidence to indicate that animals can determine the weather, they do think that many animals are sensitive to changes in our environment that are linked to weather and seasonal fluctuations. Like? Well, in an interview, Dr. Simon Robson, adjunct professor at Central Queensland University, said many animals predict the arrival of summer in their behavior because they sense that the days are getting longer. Animals are very very attuned to day length and the seasons, and they affect them in very different ways. Further stating that our world is dull by comparison. We humans see within a limited range of light wavelengths and hear just a bit of sound. We be dull. Is that right, Walker? (laughs) Seems so. In the case of the golden-winged warbler living in the Cumberland Mountains of East Tennessee, biologists have attached trackers to them with the intent of studying their migratory patterns. The findings were reported by Terry Johnson in the article, Out of My Back Door, Can Birds Predict Severe Weather? Oh, cool. So what did they discover? Mm, Well, this is super neat. These warblers tended to nest in the eastern regions of Tennessee, then spend the colder months in South America. Two days after the warblers arrived at their nesting area, though, in the States, they suddenly left. Oh, why? I know. Initially, they thought that they were potentially avoiding the Tennessee rain, but the warblers ended up on the Gulf Coast where it was raining as well. So what was it? Well, scientists believe that the warblers had picked up on a strong weather front 200 to 250 miles away, which was heading in their direction. Well, that would not have been good for their little nest. Were the birds correct in their calculations? Like what eventually happened? Well, the storm resulted in 35 lives lost and spawned a total of 84 tornadoes. Yikes. So what did those birds tune into that gave them the the heads up? It's not known for certain, but perhaps it's possible that the birds picked up on low frequency sound waves called infrasound. 
Apparently, infrasound can detect tornadoes an hour before they form. Pretty neat, eh? Very cool. Although there may not be a lot of research to support the fact that animals can determine the weather, my spidey sense is telling me that they can. Funny you say that because Dr. Erica Miller from the University of Pennsylvania School of Veterinary Medicine stated that, I know from talking to my colleagues that even zoo animals will act differently when there is a storm coming. They may spend more time in their dens or more time pacing. They just know something is up. Yeah, I knew it. Animals are so intuitive. (laughs) They certainly are. Sadly, I think we humans have lost our connection to nature. Yeah, perhaps some of us have, but some are still tuned in, like farmers. They have to be so aware of weather because their crop yield and quality depends on it. Yes, fickle weather can wreak havoc on farmers' lives. Mm -hmm. And we've seen that so many summers here and abroad. Soaring temperatures and extended periods of time with little to no rainfall has had disastrous impacts on crops. And of course, that translates to higher prices paid by us at the grocery store. You got it. Have you ever heard the term heatflation? No, but I suspect it has to do with the rising cost of food due to higher temperatures. Yeah, you got it right. It's a big problem. But it isn't just the lack of rainfall which can cause these issues. Too much rain can also be a problem as well. Yeah, flooding does not make for ideal fields conditions for growing crops. It certainly does not. And don't forget unseasonably cold weather that takes the farmers off guard as well. Sadly, this is becoming more of a problem than ever before. And the culprit? Climate change. Hmm. And have you thought of how extreme weather will impact our insurance rates? Mm. I just think of Oceanside, Florida, for instance. Hurricane insurance is a must-have. Most definitely. According to the website for the World Economic Forum, estimates from Swiss Re, a leading provider of reinsurance and insurance globally, revealed that extreme weather events resulted in $105 billion in losses in wow. 2021, which was the fourth highest level since 1970. Wow, that's crazy. So food is more expensive and now insurance is as well. Well, that is if you can even get insured. Again, the World Economic Forum has said that by 2030, one in 25 Australian homes could be uninsurable as per the Climate Council. Right. Depending on where we live, the impact of extreme weather and climate change will vary in severity. The United States Environmental Protection Agency has pointed out that coastal regions in the southern and western United States are areas which are likely to experience storms, drought, air pollution, and heat waves, while water shortages and wildfires are likely to be experienced more frequently elsewhere. And we're already seeing a lot of that play out. It's important to point out, too, that there will be a very real human cost. In Mm -hmm. fact, the poor, elderly, young children, Indigenous communities and urban dwellers are most likely to be affected by climate change. So those living in cities? Yeah. As aptly noted by the US EPA, densely populated areas translate to more people being impacted. City dwellers are at the mercy of sewer systems and power infrastructure too, just to name a couple of factors. But clearly climate change and extreme weather can have a direct effect on our physical safety and well-being. But did you know that the weather can affect our health, like even our mental health? Oh, for sure. Seasonal changes in the weather affect our moods. Right. And that's pretty well known. Seasonal affective disorder or SAD is a real struggle for some people. It hits in the late fall and winter months when we typically experience reduced sunlight. SAD symptoms can include depression, loss of appetite, low energy, problems concentrating, and problems sleeping to list just Mm -hmm. a few. But did you know that the weather can affect us in other ways? For instance, did you know that cold weather can cause higher blood pressure? 
No, I had no idea. I know, neither did I. Cold weather can cause blood vessels to constrict because the body is attempting to maintain body temperature. The pressure increases when the vessels constrict. That is new to me. Mm -hmm. And similarly, extreme heat can affect our brains. That is really not too surprising. Heat stroke and all that. Right. It's important to understand it now, though, that we are experiencing so many more extreme heat events worldwide. According to Dr. Gara Basu, in an interview with the BBC, extreme heat can cause our brain to draw blood flow and oxygenation away from other organs, which our body needs to function. So it's also known, and it makes sense, that cognition, mood, and test scores decrease when kids are exposed to extreme heat. So let's air condition those schools, people. In fact, there's a relationship between extreme heat and sleep too. No sleep means foggy brain. Additionally, there is even an increase in car accidents and gun violence. Heat makes people edgy. So there's no surprise that a 2022 study indicated that there are more mental health visits to the emergency room too. So keep it cool and you'll be as right as rain. Right, Harris? Oh my gosh, Walker. (laughs) You got that right. Thank you for joining us at At Home and Abroad with your host, Harrison Walker. If you enjoyed this episode, we would really appreciate it if you would rate and review our show. It helps us grow and expand our reach. Subscribe to follow us each week as we continue the conversation. You can also say hi to us on Instagram at at Harrison Walker. We would love to hear from you.